Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we are equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Three Little Things podcast. My name is Sarah. I'm joined with my co-host Lily and we have Jess back for another episode, which we're really excited for. We're going to follow on from what we were chatting about in her previous episode. Um, So if you haven't listened to that, I would suggest go and listen to that first um, and then we'll run into this one. But I'll let Jess introduce herself again, just in case people haven't listened to your previous episode, but we're going to dive straight back into chatting about concussion. So Jess, share with our audience who you are and how you came to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, Lily and Sarah, for having me back. Um, my name is Dr. Jessica Povo and I'm a physiotherapist at Brain Hub in Gladesville located on the North Shore of Sydney. Just a little background about me. I completed my doctorate of physio and then went on to work at Spalding Rehab Hospital as well as Beth Israel Hospital in Boston. And through these roles, I really became interested in neurological injuries and concussion. Um, My career took me on to New Zealand where I spent over 12 years practicing with a multidisciplinary team focusing on concussion rehab. Um, And I guess during my doctorate when I was in school, I also had an additional focus on studying t- the TMJ, so the temporal mandibular joint, and combining these treatment approaches for managing TMJ as well as concussion. And I've been able to put these two areas of focus together with my passion with helping people who've had head injury recover from these kind of injuries. So I guess that's kind of what I wanted to jump in and talk about today for my three little things. Um, I wanted to discuss a little more about these close structures of the head following a concussion. So the neck, the vestibular system, as well as that TMJ. I wanted to chat a little more about some of the common but lesser known symptoms following concussion, such as cervicogenic dizziness, tinnitus, and the TMD or that temporal mandibular dysfunction that can happen after a concussion. And lastly, how physical interventions can help with these so Mm. yeah amazing yeah so I've been working with concussion patients for well over 12 years now and I found this population to be really interesting to work with just because the literature supports the fact that over 90% of these people who have a concussion will indeed make a full recovery um, if they have the right supports around them, that is. Mm. Um, and this number is actually even a bit low, so it's been estimated to be even higher than that. So it's it's great to know that when people have these rather horrific injuries, they can get better. And I feel that the media's certainly highlighted concussion a lot more over the last few years, and this has been a great step in helping to identify and support those who may have suffered a concussion mm. or be at risk of concussion. But I guess I also want to chat today around a few other structures, like I was saying. So the temporal mandibular joint, which is that lower jawbone, as well as the structures of the ear and the auditory and vestibular system and the upper cervical spine, as we all as clinicians know, can be hugely impacted following these sort of injuries. Mm. So I thought we could start high level and dive into some of that anatomy that connects the jaw and the ear. So um, it can be easy to overlook how closely linked the jaw and the ear are. um, But actually for those 
who are listening at home, if you start by putting your fingers on the small piece of cartilage at the front of your ear, otherwise known as your tragus, and then you open and close your mouth, you can feel your TMJ hinging and gliding right in front of your ear. So that can give you an appreciation of just how close these structures actually are. Um, but there's a few internal links as well between the ear and the jaw. So we call them our otomandibular ligaments, uh, which are two different ligaments that run from the malleus, which is one of those tiny three little bones of our inner ear, one of which runs from the malleus to the jaw. And then we have another ligament called our anterior malar, malleolar ligament, excuse me, which connects the malleus of that middle ear directly to the jaw. And then, excuse me, then we also have a second one which connects one to our the cartilaginous disc of our jaw. So mm. both connecting inner ear to jaw as well as the disc of the jaw. So it's thought that if there is an injury or dysfunction happening in the TMJ or jaw itself, these ligaments could stretch and this could directly impact that middle ear and that sense of equilibrium that we have. So um, yeah, I think it's really important to appreciate just how intertwined all of this stuff really is. And also, as we know, those three small bones in the middle ear serve to conduct sound from the outside world to the inner ear. And this conduction between the jaw and the ear can also impact hearing as well, or tinnitus, lesser known tinnitus, but also otherwise called uh, ringing in the ears. I know we've all seen patients that, mm. that have had that. So another important anatomical structure to discuss is that link between the nervous system and the TMJ. Um, and this is our fifth cranial nerve called the trigeminal nerve. And so this arises in the brainstem at just at the base of the skull and it travels forward to the face and has three branches spanning across the eye, across the cheek area and the jawline itself. I actually had a, a quite a funny conversation yesterday with a patient of mine who I was talking to her about her trigeminal nerve and where it was and how that might be impacting her headaches. And she was like, oh, you mean like, like Mike Tyson's tattoo? Like what? And she's like, <laughs> like the movie, The Hangover, you know, I was like, oh, I guess he does have a tattoo across the top two branches of his trigeminal nerve. But yeah, anyways, it just helped me visualize like, yep, indeed. So above the eye, down the cheek and down the jaw. Um, so if we get back to the science a little bit here, uh, injuries to the head can certainly cause a trauma or inflammation along this nerve, and it can result in pain on one side of the head or the face. Uh, there's also quite a bit of overlap between headache patterns known to be caused from the disruption of the upper part of the cervical spine and the trigeminal nerve. Um, so this too can be something that needs to be reviewed by a clinician to determine where's this pain actually coming from. So just a few other stats around TMD or the dysfunction of the temporal mandibular joint. There was an article back in 2020 that estimated 5 to 12% of the global population suffers from trigeminal nerve pain. So that's a fair mm. few people out there. Um, it was also noted that this percentage is as high as 36% of those in populations who have suffered a concussion. So certainly a jump after a head injury. And the worldwide prevalence of concussion back in 2020 was 69 million people. So there's a lot of people out there that could otherwise be having pain that could be easily addressed by looking at that trigeminal nerve mm. or the jaw. So from a clinical standpoint, it's certainly noteworthy. Um, if we move into the cervical spine, just due to that location of the upper part of the cervical spine and the brain stem, any injury, such as a concussive injury, can certainly impact wider than just the head and the neck. So this neck dysfunction can lead to more, um, more commonly known signs of headaches, imbalance, dizziness, visual changes, and, and difficulty, 
difficulty holding that steadiness of gaze of the eyes. Um, but this can also leave the vagus nerve disruption, a sense of fullness in the ear, ringing in the ear, such as tinnitus and TMJ pain. So the neck should always be screened, in my opinion, following a concussion. And it is very likely involved due to the forces that go through the neck as well. Um, so I know we've, we've kind of discussed it in the previous podcast about different forces that happen when um, people suffer, say, a sports injury, for example. We get mm. that that reverberation of energy that travels from the body through the neck up to the head, and it's all so connected. A recent study in 2020 out of the U.S. noted that up to 68% of patients who presented to the ED with a suspected concussion also reported neck pain, and of those, up to 41% still report neck pain, even as far as 45 days out from their injuries. So it's just one of many studies out there that's highlighting the commonality of neck pain with concussions. So we really do need to look at this as, mm. as we all know clinically. Um, but I guess even in, in the absence of neck pain, there can be dysfunction in the proprioceptors of the neck. So these, these little nerves that tell our brain where our head is in space. And these little movement sensing neural pathways help us determine which way to turn our head, how to interact with our environment. And they can certainly give us other symptoms, even if the neck isn't painful. So a clinician who has experience in concussion will be able to screen for all of that. It's certainly good to get the neck looked at as part of that uh, comprehensive post-concussive assessment. I guess it, clinically, I feel it's it's really naive to think that the neck and eyes are also separate structures. I mean, while mm. we, we know that the neck is one structure, the eyes is another, but there's such a huge connection between these two. So we have these little muscles, our splenius capitis and our, sub our excuse me, our suboccipitals in our neck. And these tense actually when we move our eyes, even without us moving our neck. So again, just for those listening at home, if you were to try this yourself and you put two fingers just below the occiput or the that bony part on the back of your skull, and you drop your fingers down just below this to the softer part of your head, right between your skull and your neck, and if you keep your fingers on those two spots for a second, just turn your eyes side to side without moving your neck or head whatsoever. And you should feel those little muscles fire individually when you move just your eyes. So this just further demonstrates that close linkage between the neck and the eyes. So when the eyes move, the neck is ready to follow suit. And, and this is both a survival mechanism that we've got, but it's also just how our nervous system is hardwired so that many systems can go at once. Mm. Uh, the inner ear or the vestibular system as we know it as, um, and the neck also have these close linkages together. So when the upper cervical spine, specifically that kind of um, C0 to C3, sustains an injury or inflammation, um, such as the case with a concussion, there can be this mismatch of communication that is sent from the neck to that vestibular nuclei in the brainstem. And this can disrupt that vestibular input as well, causing people to feel off balance, dizzy. This is what we would refer to as cervicogenic dizziness. Mm. So, And I guess on, on the topic of the neck, there's been a lot out there in terms of can people train their neck to... To prevent a concussion injury, um, yeah, I think we, we've touched on this a little bit before, but yeah, it's really hard to prevent a concussion, actually. So recent studies over the past five years looked at, you know, can we strengthen the, the neck, especially in these higher level sports like NRL, American NFL. Um, and in short, yes, we can strengthen the neck, the neck, of course, but does it prevent a concussion injury? Mm, jury's out. They say the best way to prevent a concussion is to actually see that impact come in your way, which which is not always possible in mm. a dynamic sport environment. So, yeah. 
So I guess now it's easy to see how closely linked all these structures are of the head and the neck. Um, and we know that concussions can have a wide array of symptoms, far more than just the headaches and dizziness that people often anticipate with these. So I wanted to discuss TMD today or temporal mandibular disorder, which is that issue with the jaw and the symptoms that follow. So there's a lot that can go wrong with our jaw. Um, mm. We can have a painful opening of the jaw called trismus or a locking of it. We can also have pain along the branches of that trigeminal nerve of the face that we discussed. And we can even have some other symptoms of muscle imbalances or grinding of the teeth. Um, we call that bruxism when there's that clenching or grinding of the teeth, which is actually really, really common, especially when people are sleeping. And um, more commonly, we know that the jaw can click that disc that we talked about inside can translate in and out and you can have that clicking sensation but you can also have muscle spasms around the jaw um, and the muscles called the lateral pterygoid that can pull that disc forward too so there's a lot that can happen and and beyond that of of physical rehab this is a problem um, that needs to also be addressed by dentistry and orthodontics as well because any dysfunction with the jaw can certainly impact tooth health. We know that excessive bruxism or grinding of the teeth can can cause gum recession and it can cause cracking of the teeth and really impact the overall oral health of the mouth. So mm. that's why it's really important to see this as a multidisciplinary approach that needs to be addressed following concussion. Mm. I guess early in my career, I, I became really interested in this as well because I, suff I suffered with my own TMD issues. The number of times I myself would go to a dentist and think, oh, I'm, I'm getting a cavity. There's something wrong with one or two teeth. But it was actually just the pressure that I was putting on a few teeth in my sleep with grinding my teeth that made me feel different pains and different sensations in my mouth. Um, I found that all very interesting. And that's, mm. that's what kind of led me into this. And I, I feel quite strongly that, yeah, there's a lot of things we can do to, to balance those forces around the head and the jaw. So, mm. yeah, mm. I guess that leads me a little bit more into some treatment for TMD. So first of all, have a review with a dentist if you suspect that there's any issues with um, tooth health, tooth alignment, seeing um, an orthodontic on, excuse me, an orthodontist can be really helpful as well because if the teeth aren't aligning well, um, that just causes different loading in the mouth. But we know that physiotherapy and chiropractics can certainly play a major role in addressing TMD as well. So we can work on balancing the muscles involved with chewing and possibly those contributing to bruxism, mm. as well as some strategies of dry needling, soft tissue work. Um, even things like low-level laser therapy is so helpful these days with controlling that inflammation of, these, of the jaw and the tissues around it. Clinically, peripheral nerve stimulators can also be really helpful um, when used over a couple of those branches on that trigeminal nerve. So again, just above the eye and on the side of the cheek, this really works well clinically to mediate that pain. Mm. Exercises also, of course, can be given to optimize that opening and the closing of the jaw and look to minimize these lateral deviations. So many people, when they open their mouth, it swings quite a bit to one side or the other. So we can balance that with some exercise as well, uh, but more so posture um, of the head and the neck also needs to be considered. We all spend our days now hunched over our computers, on mm -hmm. our phones, and just that really anterior posture of the head puts the jaw in a very disadvantaged position. So addressing mm. all this can be great. Uh, but there's a lot more now around breathing and how, you know, looking at nose breathing versus mouth breathing. How does that impact the dynamics of not just the jaw, but the throat and just the overall well-being of the person? So we can look at that 
in a mm-hmm. clinic and, and hopefully try and guide people a little bit on how some breathing strategies might take away some of that pain too. So yeah, so th- a lot to consider. And then last but certainly not least, I mean, the mouth guards that a qualified dentist can give people certainly helps with that jaw pain as well mm-hmm. and that, that mandibular positioning. So yeah, I guess one thing I've, I've heard a lot clinically is do mouth guards prevent concussion? Because um, a lot of the contact sports, they're wearing these mouth guards, as they should, because it certainly does play a role in protecting the teeth and that impact that happens when people get hit. Um, we want to protect the teeth from chipping and damage. But um, in terms of the forces of concussion, one mouth guard won't prevent the forces going through the head and the neck. It will minimize the impact in the mouth, but it won't actually prevent it's not an insurance policy against mm. a concussion mm. do you want to comment on headgear yeah <laughs> yeah oh, headgear. Yeah, mm. yeah absolutely i know i know do they it's... prevent nah. 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 but wear them anyway exactly yeah. exactly i mean it's 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 silly not to wear it because again we're, we are protecting those superficial structures of the mm. head of course but is it going to prevent that axonal shearing that happens no. inside? No. They have nicer ears when they finish. Well, yeah. that's just it. That's just it. But yeah, and, and hmm. yeah, superficial, yes, but no, not those deeper structures. I think for me in practice, the benefit of headgear, as you say, it's not it's not gonna prote- it's not gonna mm. prevent the concussion, but I actually think it changes the athlete's perspective or mm. mindset or just their I feel like they're a little bit more aware of protecting themselves, yes. um, which I think, again, probably doesn't doesn't prevent the concussion from happening, but I think brings an awareness to how they can better look after their body. Definitely. Which is it's not only they care. It's, yeah, it's not only yeah. going to help with their concussion, but it's just going to yeah help with their overall awareness and, and caring of their own body. So, Absolutely. you know, benefit, but yeah, not yeah. going to prevent the concussion. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, if it, it prevents other minor bumps and bruises, I mean, it's some of these... Helmets and headgears have been shown to help with skull fracture, so that's mm. great. Um, mm. You know, we love that. that. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. but but yeah, unfortunately, those delicate tissues inside the head now yeah. they're still at risk. Absolutely. Hmm. Uh, other symptoms that that people struggle with following concussion are tinnitus, so mm. otherwise known as that ringing in the ear. Um, it's it's not always a ringing sensation or a pitch sound, but it can be this buzzing or a whooshing sound inside the ears. It can be in one ear, it can be in both ears, um, and it's it's worth noting that if people are describing a pulsatile sound, this could be vascular in nature, and this definitely needs a review sooner than later with an audiologist and or an ENT. An MRI might be needed to look closer into this as well. So, um, yeah, depending on the actual sound, people are reporting kind of. Uh, determines the triage approach with tinnitus. Uh, Other things that can contribute to tinnitus are ototoxic drugs. So there's a lot of drugs out there like antibiotics and chemotherapy drugs that we know certainly impact the structures of the inner ear and can contribute to tinnitus. But things like NSAIDs, so those non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs um, in high doses over a long period of time can also be ototoxic. So people who are self-medicating their symptoms with concussion um, or following concussion with these drugs, I mean, they might be at risk for it. So clinically, it's worth discussing with people what are they taking and how much of it are they taking. But other medical issues also need to be ruled out with tinnitus. People can have um, an onset of tinnitus that's rather acute. And some people can have others that they've had for years and years and years, but the approaches still need to be kind of this multidisciplinary triaging of when did it start? What kind is it? How do we address it? Mm. Um, Because no two cases are the same with this. 
the auditory system has close ties to the limbic system, as we know as well. So this impacts that emotional regulation, as well as our autonomic nervous system. So treatment may also need to involve not just sound therapy or hearing aids, but also postural input, optimizing the cervical spine, and then um, some cognitive behavioral therapy can be really effective as well for people who are really struggling with tinnitus. Other physical stressors can contribute to tinnitus um, if people are under stress at work, at home, and also prolonged postures are known to contribute to tinnitus too. So going back to what we were saying about people being hunched over their laptops all day long, this, this puts the head and the neck in a really disadvantaged position and can impact those tiny structures in the ear as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be really difficult, I guess, when people come into a clinic and they say that they've had tinnitus and they've been told they just need to get used to it, they need to just ignore it, it'll go away, maybe it won't. I, I guess I personally find that really disheartening for mm. patients because there are so many things out there that we can try. Tinnitus isn't, it may not have arisen from one thing, but several things. And so therefore we need to address it through several different treatment strategies. It's mm. also a sensory neuro approach too, because mm. like anything is intrusive. I mean, pain yeah. is actually intrusive and some pain is actually thalamic pain. Mm. This is probably too neuroscience for now, but um, there's been so much research regarding pain really being an emotion yes. rather than a sensation, yes. except for nociceptor pain mm-hmm. when there's actually damage. damage yeah. So a lot of the pain strategies now even being carried out at the major hospitals are to do with um, mindfulness yep. yeah. and building the prefrontal cortex. Absolutely. So, I mean, we all deal with, as you would mm-hmm. in, in your profession, it's something that we do all the time. Yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah, you know, it probably does, will impact tinnitus. Mm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. For sure. Definitely, Yeah. Cervicogenic dizziness is another one I just want to talk about a bit today because, uh, as we were saying before, those first three vertebrae of the neck in particular really have close linkages to that brain stem and that vestibular system of the inner ear. Mm-hmm. And a slight dysfunction of the neck can certainly cause that feeling of dizziness and unbalance and neck pain. And it can also be a symptom that, that shows up in the weeks following a concussion, so it might not be present immediately. So that can be tricky for patients to really put a finger on when did it start and what do they think is causing it. So assuming all major injuries to the spine have been ruled out following a concussion, because that's that's important, get all those structures screened. Um, imaging is quite important in the early days. And if the vestibular system has also been screened, then further intervention for that cervicogenic dizziness can be necessary. And we can do this with some hands-on Um, work to the neck just for those acute symptoms we can go down the path of further using dry needling or acupuncture and again low level laser therapy can really help with pain management but then moving on with exercises and those proprioception exercises that incorporate head neck and eye movements just to retrain these systems to help people feel a bit more steady on their feet a little more sure of their environment so physio and chiropractors can certainly help optimize this through addressing that restriction of the upper cervical spine Um, but yeah there's a lot of different overlapping that we can do so we can work on the neck as well as the posture and the breathing and the jaw and then try and layer on some of those ocular motor exercises too in order to help people get back to what they want to be doing. So So where you work, Jess, Mm. I I know it's with um, Dr. Carlo, one of our colleagues who's just um, a super duper human. Mm -hmm. Um, He also has a PhD and it's mainly with vestibular rehab. You guys have a lot of toys there, a lot of measurement tools, you know, so I know all this sort of sits really neatly into what you do. I remember doing one of his seminars um, a while ago and about the neuromuscular spindles, those Mm. little computer chips in our our muscles to show us where we are in space and feedback and feed forward. 
the density, I think, per gram in the um, little muscles around your skull, mm. you know, the rectus capitis and all that. I think he mentioned something like 286 per gram yeah. compared to the gluteal um, <laughs> muscles, the glute maximus, like yeah. a big fat muscle in your, in your bums. That's eight um, yeah. per gram, you know. So, it's amazing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's so important. I mean, why nature put that many new neuromuscular spindles in those muscles? It's got to be for a reason. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, and hugely for a reason. And as we were saying, you know, survival, if you go back to mm-hmm. early, early days and start of life, I mean, survival mode, we need all those structures. We need all those sensors in our head to, to keep us alive and sense the world around us. So it, it really doesn't take much for a few mm. of them to go a bit haywire. That's and, right. Yeah, and so many things problems. go wrong. All those mm-hmm. Brainstem autonomics. And then um, the final thing I just want to say about the CTE, which is what we began this conversation with, um, the encephalitis and the liquefying of our Mm -hmm. brains, um, is so post-mortem, you know, and we have all these heroes donating their um, Mm -hmm. brains to science, but that's afterwards. I know. You see, whereas a lot of things that we can all do exist today. Yes, um, yes. We can in vivo um, examine it. Mm. Mm. So it's just a real shame when people just go, oh, well, you know, when I die, I'll give my brain to science. Yeah, you. <laughs> um, in the meantime, this brain is still living. Yes. Can we do something with it? Absolutely. So the TMJ, the cervical genic, um Dizziness. I mean, yeah, let's get on to all that. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely, mm. absolutely. I totally agree. The sooner we can address things, the better in, in, in looking at this and not just let people suffer on with these these symptoms that can otherwise be – some people are to have these symptoms that are vague. Some people have it very intrusive in their lives. But, yeah, there's so many things that we can do to mm. address it. So, um, yeah, so I, I think it's just really good on that note to consider that a concussion impacts way more than the head and the brain, but also the forces through the neck, the jaw and the ear and how these are just so closely linked, as you were just saying, Lily. So, um and just, I just have to make the point about the autonomics because yes. people cannot make that association between the ANS, autonomic nervous system, mm. and and their necks and their brains, yes. you know, whereas um, that brainstem area is all about humanity, you know, yes. our, our sleep-wake cycles, our digestion, our mm. heart rate, mm-hmm. um, blood pressure, you yeah. know, it's, it's our mood and so on. Yeah. And most of the drugs which are hugely mm. used right now are to do with, you know, I mean... I'm not even going to mention them because I will be sued. But, you know, um, if we can just fix our autonomics via our, our brain stems and our brain. Absolutely. Then maybe we don't have to poison our livers and our kidneys and our gut, you know, with um, Absolutely. too many yeah. unnecessary pharmaceuticals. Mm. But also more than that, we can feel better. Live better, yeah. experience yes. life better, right? Yes, like, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And why not learn to address the physical structures rather than masking them? Or, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, why not learn to retrain them and, and help these nerves and help these muscles get back to doing what they do and work together harmoniously as opposed to just snowing them under and numbing them? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So amazing. Where can we find you? Yes. Oh, no. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And yes, if any of the listeners out there would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to reach out. You can reach me, reach me at brainhub.com.au. So that's B-R-A-I-N-H-U-B.com.au. Um, I'm also presently doing a 15-minute free phone consultation with anyone. If you'd want to reach out to me, just let me know if I can help. Otherwise, we can certainly be reached on our Instagram at brainhub. And you can email me at jessica at 
brainhub.com.au. Amazing. And we will pop all of that in the show notes Mm. as well so people can just click on it and find you very easily. But, yeah, I suspect that we might get some questions from these podcasts. So, um, yeah, yeah, we can always contact you about that or people can contact them, contact you directly. But, yeah, I think that's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you you both. Thank you. A quick disclaimer, these episodes are not intended to replace help, treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals. The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.